tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. It's a Monday, a very wonderful Monday after our pledge drive. So let's begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want to say thank you. As I said uh, a number of times last week, you are the, the you are the show. You really are. It's it's you know we sit at a microphone and have this wonderful privilege of of talking to you and this this wonderful ministry of bringing Christ to to so many people. It's your ministry. We play the lesser part in it. Uh, those of us who have the privilege to work at Relevant Radio, your kindness, your generosity, and your faithfulness, and your sharing information about Relevant Radio, getting your friends to listen to Relevant Radio, it's a great way to evangelize. So thank you. Just sincere thanks for what you've done. Also, I have so many letters today. I'm going to do a letter show. I won't be answering phones because I want to catch up on all these letters I've gotten since pledge drive so all right let's go to the big book on the coffee table let's open it up well there's some things that i really want to talk about from the last day of the the pledge drive the uh the um the creation of eve i really really want to talk about some of that stuff because um it just it's just profound stuff first of all I, I talked about Eve being created between uh, Friday and Saturday. She was created in the twilight of Friday, which is sort of the front porch of Sabbath. So, so it's the family and the relationship that bring us into um, the fullness of God's promise. Uh, remember, the word sacrament means oath to the death in Latin. <clears throat> of course, its theological definition is a... Uh, an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace, but the Latin word that they chose meant an oath to the death, or that you swore either to the 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 monarch or to uh, uh, someone you loved. So it was a lover's oath. It was a political oath. It was the most solemn oath you could take. So that's a sacrament, and there are seven sacraments. That should tell us something, because as I said, the word seven in Hebrew is very close. Uh, actually the same as the word to to swear to swear an oath 
So, that said, the very fact of the creation is God's oath of love, if you include the seventh day. And where does that love, that that fulfillment of God's oath happen? In our relationships with one another, particularly in the sacred bond of marriage and family. The Eucharist, read Dr. Hahn's book, uh, The Lamb's Supper, uh, <laughs> talks about Mass being the, the, the wedding the sacrificial wedding banquet of of of, of the, the the messiah and his his bride the church so this is all sorts of symbolism but symbols say something as we're going to see if i ever get to the gospel but let us get back to this the lord cast a deep sleep on the man and took out one of his ribs now the rabbis would say that god made eve out of the rib of a man because <coughs> excuse me, uh, had he taken her from his head, she would be proud. Had she taken her from his feet, he would have been degraded. He took her from his side to show that man and woman should walk side by side. And I thought, well, that's lovely. And then I was sharing that with someone, and they said, yeah, the, the rib, however, has a function in the body. It protects the heart. I thought that was beautiful. The rib protects the vital organs, especially the heart. Um, you know that that this this essential relationship between man and woman is a relationship of mutual care. Man was told to cultivate and to protect the garden, and he failed to do that when he failed to protect Eve from the the serpent. Um, but uh, as as we we saw in Friday's reading. Um, I think that was Friday's reading. But Eve has the role of protecting a man also. There's a mutual protection, and the heart is protected by the rib. And that's, I think, a beautiful part of the symbolism. So uh, the another thing I want to comment on Thursday's reading, there's so so much wealth in it. The man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. Uh, there's a lot of ink been spilled on this. Uh, St. John Paul the Great commented on it, the theology of the body. And, um, but I, I have kind of a simple, a simple thought about it. You know, it is so funny uh, when some toddler escapes from his parents when his or her diaper is being changed. That is, is really, really funny. This kid has absolutely no shame. At that age, he's not thinking that he has to do anything other than be himself or herself, and mommy and daddy will still love him. <laughs> you see what's going on there? And that was Adam and Eve. They didn't need to uh, to uh, put on makeup and, and nice clothes and, and their Sunday best. They knew that God would love them as he had made them. And then sin comes in, and we realize that we're not beautiful anymore. And we need to um, to put on an exterior. We need to put on something that will help people to like us. So um, that that shamelessness, I think, is is an assurance that we're loved. And uh, I mean, I encourage you to continue to wear clothing. I I do, but uh, uh, but we're talking about a, a spiritual a spiritual reality there. Well, let us go to today's readings. We'll finally get to today, which is of course Monday. Hold on, let me click on the little button. All right, 
This is the story of the sin of Cain murdering Abel. The, the result of the sin of Adam and Eve was the collapse of family life. It ceased to be that sacred Sabbath rest because of sin. It, it became a source of, of sorrow and pain, uh, as families often are. Well, the thing that's most interesting here is that, that um, well, let me read it. Abel became a keeper of flocks and Cain a tiller of the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil, while Abel, for his part, brought one of his best firstling sheep from his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not. Why not? The Lord goes on, so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so restful and crestfallen? If you do well, you can hold up your head. But if not, sin is a demon lurking at the door. His urge is toward you, yet you can be his master. Well, that in itself is a sermon, that that um, you can master sin. Most of us think the only way to, to get rid of a temptation is by giving in to it. Jesus said, resist the devil and he will flee to you, or he will flee from you. And I think that's an important thing to remember, that if we resist temptation, temptation does eventually go away. It may be a strong temptation, but the more we resist temptation, the stronger we become. And in resisting the devil, I always like to point out the Hail Mary is a wonderful prayer because the devil dislikes it so much. I've seen this in exorcisms. I've seen this in, in so many situations. The Hail Mary is a biblical prayer. It's quoting the Holy Scripture to remind uh, the the devil about the sacredness of humanity, in particular, the sacredness of women. So I think the Hail Mary is a powerful, powerful prayer in spiritual warfare. But use it to resist the devil. It's, it's, it's a promise we have from Christ. All right, well, let's get back to the reading. Uh, why? It doesn't seem to say why Abel uh, was acceptable to the Lord and Cain's sacrifice was not. Well, we only know that in, I believe it, let me pull it up, Psalm 50, verse 5, which says, uh, summon to me the saints, uh, gather my saints together. And the word is holy ones, those who belong to the Lord. A saint is someone who belongs to the Lord. Um, saints are sinners, sinners saved by grace. But they have fought sin in their life, and they belong completely to the Lord. So this says, uh, uh, "Gather my, the verse 5 of Psalm 50 says, Gather my saints together unto me, those who have made covenant. As I said earlier, covenant uh, is, is, is an oath to the death. What is a covenant? A covenant is, I give you that you might give me. That's a covenant. Or rather, I give you myself that you might give me yourself. It is the coming together of of the whole persons. A contract is I give you so that you might give me. When the business is done and the money is exchanged, uh, the goods and services are rendered, the contract, the relationship is over. A covenant only ends with the death of one of those who are making covenant. A contract ends when the business is over. Gather my saints together unto me, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. Uh, and of course, in the consecration of the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant. 
<laughs> this is the cup of the blood of, of the new covenant, the covenant in my blood. That's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, you had to, there had to be a shedding of blood to make a covenant. And that's the word for sacrifice. It's Zabah. It is, it means, it literally means slaughter. And you can't make a covenant without a blood sacrifice. Cain didn't want to make a covenant with the Lord. He wanted to make a contract. Abel wanted to make a covenant because he sacrificed a lamb from the flock. You and I want to make contracts with God. I will do this, and I will say these prayers, and I'll leave nine copies in the church, and I will jump around on one foot because that's what I'm supposed to do, and God's got to give me what I want because that's in, that's, I read that somewhere. <laughs> that's a contract. God doesn't work by contracts. God only works by covenants. You see where I'm going with this? That we are committing the sin of Cain when we make a contract with the Lord. Now, there is an element of contract in a covenant, but a covenant aims at the giving of self. And if you don't want to give yourself to the Lord, well, that's that. You know, Jesus is my friend. Oh, yes, he's your friend. He's also your Lord and and your master. <laughs> and um, if you just want to make a nice contract with him, I'll I'll, uh, I'll light these candles for you, Lord. I, I love the lighting of candles. It's a beautiful symbol. But there are some people who think, I lit a candle. How come I didn't? I said the prayer. It said to light the candle, say the prayer nine times. How come I didn't get what I want? Because that's not the way God works. God doesn't work that way. God works through covenants. And, you know, we people talk about the, the scapulars, for instance. And some people treat a scapula like a contract. It said, if you do this and you wear this, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But did you give yourself to the Lord? No, I, I'm wearing the, 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 the scapula like an amulet. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the scapula is not an amulet. It is assigned to you and to the devil, who is very good at symbols, uh, it's a sign that you're going to try to live your life in the spirituality of uh, the, that scapular represents, such as the brown scapular. I think that's, is that the Carmelites? There are different scapulars at different orders uh, and different spiritualities uh, use. So that's the point of a scapular. You're living a certain spirituality. But if you treat it like an amulet, well, I'm wearing this, and I said I'd, I'd, I'd be guaranteed this, this sort of thing, and... No, it doesn't. It doesn't guarantee it. It invites you to live a life of holiness, and that will guarantee God's mercy when you most need it. So so there you go. That's how it works. <clears throat> well, um, is there any, any other stuff I want to uh, mention about this? Let's see here. I, I think it's very interesting that the first question... Uh, not the first question, it's about the second question. The first question, as I said uh, last week, was, has God said? You know, did God really say that that you can't eat the fruit of that tree? The devil wanted to shake Eve's confidence in in the, uh, in the in what God had said. And this is the second question, and God asked it, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus uh, resoundingly answers, yes, you are. So, 
All right, there you go. Well, let's let's take a break. Um, we'll come back, and again, I apologize. I'm not taking phone calls today. I'm, I'm doing letters, lots and lots of letters. But we will come back with letters in the word of the day. We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about the Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. back again i want to say thank you for your generosity and and your faithfulness and and just your your devotion to to the work we do here at relevant radio and you are the big part of it so thank you all right let's go to letters okay this is from lj in uh, in austin about uh, uh, the Messiah and Expectations. It's a little bit of a long letter, so I hope I can get to the point of it. So sometimes I end up answering a question that I wasn't asked. All right. My understanding is that there are different expectations among the Jews and the arrival of the Messiah that would bring about a number of changes, which are somewhat different than what we as Catholics interpret. Um in scripture study recently, some challenges were made that the Old Testament does not reveal much information about the understanding of Christ. If you mean Christ as Messiah, that's true, as we believe him to be. Uh, there are a number of Old Testament references. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I think Dr. Hahn has said this, Dr. Scott Hahn, a very smart man, that he pointed out that the, on the road to Emmaus that whole afternoon that Jesus un unrecognized by two people who were quite possibly relatives of Jesus. One might have been, uh, was named Clopas. It might have been uh, Jesus' uh, uncle, um, that is the brother of St. Joseph. It's possible. Um, but, you know, I don't want to speculate on that. What Dr. Hahn says is that he would love to have been <laughs> a fly on the wall there or to have heard that conversation because Jesus pointed out all of the Old Testament passages, we would call them, about his coming. Um, the Messianic expectations changed. Uh, um, the Messianic expectations that Jews have now come, I believe, in the late Middle Ages, um, uh, I think from perhaps Maimonides made the list. I'd, I'd have to look that up. But things like he would be a scrupulous follower of the law. And we would say Jesus was. There were a few principal messianic expectations that Jesus, the Messiah rather, would uh, rebuild the temple and purify it, that he would um, restore the manna in the desert, that he would reestablish the throne of David and that he would bring about justice in the world. Those were the messianic expectations. We believe that, that oh, and, and that he would bring peace. There would be peace. Uh, 
uh, I remember hearing the story of a, a, a false messiah, Shabbatai Tzvi, who made great waves in Europe. And he um, uh, had a lot of followers. And this one of his followers runs into his rabbi's uh, study and says, Rabbi, the messiah has come. And the rabbi goes to the window, throws open the shutters and says, nothing has changed. In Judaism, <clears throat> we read in the Talmud that there are two messiahs. There is the suffering servant, the son of Joseph. Interesting. He's called the son of Joseph in, in the Talmud. I point that out to Rabbi Lefkowitz, and he said, no, 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 that's different. Well, the suffering servant, the son of Joseph, who prepares the way uh, for the Messiah, one of his tasks is the ingathering of Israel. Then at the end of time, there's the glorious son of David uh, who establishes the Messianic kingdom. We just think that the two messiahs are the same Jewish fellow, Jesus of Nazareth, <clears throat> and that, that uh, he will come again at the end of time, manifesting himself in glory. So, well, what does that have to do with this? The first messiah is the, the second messiah, in a certain sense, in seed form. In the Mass, we quote Jesus as saying, Peace I give you, peace I leave you, not as the world gives peace. Do I give my peace to you? We repeat that in the Mass because the Messiah did establish world peace for those who would receive it. He did rebuild the temple. He did purify it. Uh, the temple is, <clears throat> we are the third temple. We're the temple not made with stones. Uh, we are the living temple. Uh, he did reestablish the messianic uh, uh, kingdom. He is uh, the 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 king of of kings. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, Lubavitcher Hasidim, which is a, a radically orthodox sect of Jews, are divided between those who believe that the last of the Lubavitcher rebbe's, the Rebbe Schneerson, was the Messiah, and those who don't. And you will see cars driving around in a Jewish neighborhood with a banner that says, um, that talks about Melech Mashiach, which they're referring to Rabbi Schneerson, the Messiah King or Christ the King. And I think, oh, I can, I can salute that banner because I believe that Jesus is Melech Mashiach. He's the Messiah King. So this idea of the Messiah establishing the kingship, yeah, well, when a Jew looks at that, that assumes, of course, that, that in the words of of Rabbi Lefkowitz, whom I quote so often, he said, yeah, the Messiah is just a human being. He comes, he reestablishes justice and peace, rebuilds the temple, and then he dies. We still can't eat shrimp. So <laughs> I said, Rabbi, it's all farm-raised. <laughs> it's not that good anymore. But uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the Messiah is a human character, and to reestablish the throne of David, he must marry and have children, which Jesus didn't. He did not marry and have children. Um, uh, I think that's a, a real important thing to understand, uh, that these these messianic expectations in Judaism have 2,000 more years to, to build. Uh, he, he did, we believe, rebuild the temple. He did establish the monarchy. Uh, he did bring world peace. But the big one for us would be the manna in the desert. The Messiah was going to restore the manna in the desert. Nobody would have to work for a living anymore. They would all be fed. Well, Jesus did, but it's the Eucharist. So all of these things are fulfilled spiritually and in a, in a better way by this Messiah, son of Joseph, in preparation for the coming of, 
of the Messiah, and he did get or the the, the Davidic Messiah. He did gather in uh, Israel. People talk about uh, the state of Israel as the ingathering of Israel at the end times. No, it, it's not. It 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 may be the ingathering of of the tribe of Judah, and it may be a sign the the resurgence of. Of, of Jews may be a sign that God is faithful to the house of Israel, but we believe that we're Israel too. We've been grafted into Israel, and Israel was scattered among the nations. And you remember the ten lost tribes? They were scattered among the nations. And in order to bring them back in, you have to cast a very wide net and bring in all of the nations because. You know, if you do the DNA thing, which I'm not recommending necessarily, but if you do the DNA thing, it's amazing how many people are Jewish. I'm not Jewish at all. <laughs> people think I am with the last name of Simon and uh, uh, knowing, you know, being interested in, in, in Jewish culture. I'm not at all Jewish genetically, but I, I remember we had some Assyrians in my Bible class. They all did the test. They're all a little bit Jewish. <laughs> all sorts of people. Most anybody who's got Spanish genes in them is probably a little bit Jewish. So <clears throat> Israel is scattered through the nations. There's a tribe in Africa which has recognizable Jewish DNA, the Lemba, on the east coast of, of Africa. There are, there are Chinese Jews. Uh, in order to gather in Israel, you have to gather in all the nations. Where are the nations gathered in? In the church universal, that is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the ingathering of Israel, the Catholic Church established by Jesus. So Jesus fulfills the 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 role of of the Messiah, son of David, most fully in <laughs> the Catholic Church. So I know that's a little bit extensive, but um these messianic expectations have been added to over the ages, but the ones I mentioned were the most common um uh, the most common um, ones at the time of Christ. So I hope that helps. There, You mentioned, uh, uh, LJ, Old Testament theophysies, the visitors that met with Abraham, and the we that's used in the creation details. We think of those as references to the Trinity. Jews do not. The we, for Jews, Jewish rabbis interpret the we as a majestic plural. We we interpret it literally. So, you know, it's it's how you look at it. But the big thing is that, well, uh, we know Jesus and we can trust him. Okay, I hope that helps a little. All right. <clears throat> now, this is one. This is, this is very good. Uh, is, there's a funeral mass that is out of town about two and a half miles away. Does it count if I, does it count? <laughs> I love that phrase. Does it count? For the deceased, if I attend daily mass with this person in another city, yes, of course it is. It, it, it counts. Mass always counts. What do I always say? For God, all moments are now. All places are here. So you're at. If you if you go to mass, there's only one mass in all of history, because that's the way God looks at it. Calvary, and the Last Supper, and the road to Emmaus and the morning Mass in your parish this morning, and Sunday Mass that Sunday, God sees them all as one thing, as the the wedding supper of the Lamb, unchanged throughout history. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yes, yeah, Father Branken gets all upset with me when I talk about omnitemporality. He's, that's my, partic my particular heresy. All right. 
Dear Father Simon, this is from John. I heard you mention that Mass should have moments of silence. At our church, whenever there is a moment of silence, the constant background noise of small children cooing, squawking, and chattering becomes most obvious. Sounds like a birdhouse at the zoo. I can't help but think, wow, those young Catholics are an expressive bunch. Perhaps it makes Jesus smile a bit. I think it makes him smile a whole lot. And every time you hear a kid crying in church, uh, thank God. There's a future for the church uh, in that in that crying child. Uh, I, when a, when a mother is mortified by her child's ill behavior in church, I take pains to go up to her and say, "Didn't even notice it." Because I don't. You get you get used to it, and and uh, you can have silence if you're not the parent of the child who's trying to to wrangle them in. You can have silence in your heart and. Uh, uh, it's it's the conversations that uh, I'm talking about <clears throat> that that seem to go on at mass or in in church before before mass. Now remember, the general instructor of the Roman Missal wants you to have silent silent preparation for mass, and people with large families rarely get there early. <laughs> so if you want some quiet time in church, uh, if you're a pastor and your fellow parishioners will cooperate, it's before mass. So. Uh, it's, you know, I would also say at, after mass, if you see someone praying, go out to the vestibule, be polite. That's just polite. The general instruction does not insist on silence after mass, but it's just polite when someone is making a Thanksgiving after communion. And that is an important, important part of the gospel to be kind to one another. All right, let's see here. How are we doing for time? Dear voice in my head. Okay. I got a letter here about selling things in the vestibule. Is it okay to sell commercial items in the back of church vestibules during Sunday Masses, whether the organization is a for-profit or non-profit, even if they are religious articles supporting a charity? If they are there with the permission of the bishop, yes, it's okay. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, as pastor, I really discouraged it because um, people really do want to, Go, you know, was it John Dillinger when he was asked why Rob Banks said that's where the money is? Well, why do they sell in vestibules? That's where people just come out of mass and think they got to be nice, which you do have to be nice. But um, I was very, very careful about it. And I really, when someone said, we'd like to sell these things, and we have a letter from a bishop. Well, look at the letter from the bishop, and he says, I have no objection well, I'm still the pastor, and I can have an objection. I would investigate them very carefully. There are people who genuinely are are raising money for uh, um, a, a decent cause and doing it in an honest way, and then there's some who are just kind of playing on the charity of Christians. I just heard a a, a story that uh, of a of a poor girl who died uh, at a very young age and. The parish, the people of the parish had a big fundraiser, <clears throat> and uh, the money went to the parish school to pay off her tuition. Uh, to me, that's fraud. You know, that was that was that was misrepresent. I don't I don't want to mention where it was. It was in a place far away from where I am now. But we need to be very careful. Uh, you know, there are all these sayings of Jesus that didn't make it into the Bible. <clears throat> that may be genuine sayings of Jesus. Well, shouldn't we put them in the Bible? No, the early church knew about them and didn't put them in the Bible because they weren't inspired. Jesus said a lot of things that weren't inspired, like, what's for dinner, Mom? <laughs> that was That's not in the Bible. <laughs> or, so, you know, that, that um, 
we, we think that, well, if they found another gospel, they honored another gospel, would we put it, wouldn't we put it in the Bible? No, we wouldn't. But there still are probably a few authentic sayings of Jesus. We run into one of them in the Acts of the Apostles. Is it the 19th or 20th chapter where St. Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, as he's saying farewell to them in uh, in Miletus, he's saying, uh, he says, as Jesus said, there's more happiness in giving, than, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, you're not going to find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's one of the sayings of Jesus. And in the early church, they seem to have had collections of the sayings of Jesus. Now, why am I ranting and raving about here? Jesus apparently said, let your alms sweat in your hand until you know him to whom you give. That's good advice. In other words, before you give money to a cause, get to know it. And and if it's, if it's a, a good, uh, reasonable charity, then give. But get to know your charities. It's, I think it's an important thing. Uh, there are some where most of the money goes for administration. Uh, and uh, there are some where most of the money actually goes uh, where to the cause for which it's designated. So what's all this about? It's about selling stuff in church vestibules. I was very careful about it, and very rarely would I allow people to distribute literature, uh, certainly not political literature in a church. Uh, but politics is important. Yeah, it is important. But on the other hand, you really have to know what you're getting into politically. I, very few politicians I've ever known are are 100%. Um, uh, and I don't count uh, pro-life literature as, as politics. That's just morality. But short of that, you know, you, you need to know what, what, what's going on with a charity or a cause uh, and and really understand that this uh, that this or that organization is well most organizations are devoted to their their organizational life i i could go on about this for a long time because it was a it was a big issue when i was a pastor everybody wants to uh uh ah this is <laughs> this is another one where the where the corpses the vultures will gather is <laughs> a saying from scripture so I don't want to go too extensively for that. All right. Uh, is this a good moment for a break? We're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And we will uh, then do some more letters. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Father Rich Simon. Have you ever dreamt of seeing the sites in Italy? St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, Drew Mariani in the Colosseum, fighting to the death? More info on our September Eucharistic Revival Pilgrimage at relevantradio.com slash Italy. Seats are limited, not in the Colosseum necessarily, but on, on the pilgrimage. Come and listen in to the radio station Where the mighty hosts of heaven sing Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Turn your radio on If you want to hear the songs of Zion Coming from the land of endless spring Welcome back and again Forgive me that I'm doing a letter show But i got to get these letters All taken care of And Once again, thanks so much for all your generosity Let's go to the word of the day in the gospel today, very short gospel, Mark eight eleven to 13, the Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. 
and he sighed from the depth of his spirit. Well, what's going on there? Because uh, I'm always telling you spirit means breath. Well, there's the prefix the there. Have you ever thought about the and a? what they really mean? Well, the means the. No, it means a specific one already known to you. Uh, um, that's what the means. Uh, in German, it's very vivid. If I talk about the Frank, that means that's our Frank who lives in Berlin. That's a relative. If I talk about a Frank, that's any guy named Frank. So the makes something specific. Well, in this text, What's going on here? It says, and Jesus, astenazo uh, means uh, to sigh deeply, to groan. It's groaning. He groaned in the breath. So this is a specific uh, reference to the Holy Spirit, the breath of him. He, 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 he groaned in the breath of him. That's literally what it says. And, and so he, he's groaning in the deepest part of him, in the very part that lives. And why is he groaning? <laughs> uh, I may go a little long on this, but I think it's worth it. Uh, why does this generation ask for a sign? No sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them. They're arguing with him because they want a sign. They want him to prove that he's the Messiah. Well, yeah, you raise the dead, but big deal. You, you heal the sick. Well, that could be done with mirrors and smoke. I remember the story of a priest who was having a crisis of faith, and uh, this was with Sister Bridge McKenna, who had a very special ministry to priests. I, I, I don't know uh, if she's still doing that, but um, Sister Bridge had a very special ministry with priests. And there was a priest who was going on a retreat who who came early to talk to her uh, on this, this re retreat of a few days, and he said, I, I'm really having a crisis of faith. If I could just see one, now you see it, now you don't miracle, that would that would solve my problems. Well, they prayed and you know, asked God to, to, to help him. Well, the rest of the priests came, and one of the priests brought his old father with him, who had gangrene in one of his toes and was going to have to have the toe taken off. The doctor wanted him right in the hospital. He said, no, I'm going on a retreat with my son, the priest, and God is going to heal me. Well, the minute you get back, you don't go home, go straight to the hospital. We're taking that toe off. <clears throat> so the guy went to the retreat. They had the evening session. They gathered for prayer afterwards, and they prayed over this uh, this older guy with the, the bad toe. And um, they all went to bed. In the morning, the whole house was awakened by this old guy running down the stairs screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed. And, and his toe was like that of a of a teenager it, it was completely healed of the gangrene and the priest who had asked for the sign looked at it and said who talked to the doctor are there x-rays are there any kind of medical reports here in other words he'd been given the sign he wanted and he still didn't believe that's why jesus said this generation won't be given a sign you see they weren't asking for a sign really they were asking for for proof and what a sign is, is it, it, it has meaning. You know, you see a stop sign is telling you to stop. You know, God doesn't work miracles to prove uh, uh, that he's God. 
he works miracles to say something to us primarily. Now, there are certainly miracles that, that, that have to do with proof. We believe that a canonized saint uh, needs to post more to miracles because, well, miracles they work during their life don't count because, well, they might have despaired later or sinned later. But miracles have a proof value, but their main value is a word value. God is saying something to you. Go your way and sin no more, lest something worse befall you, Jesus says when he heals people. And and um, God worked this great miracle to say to this priest, I really do love you and I'm real. And this priest couldn't receive the sign. He couldn't receive the meaning of the sign. So when we ask God for a miracle, what we're really saying is, Lord, speak. Your servant listens. Uh, uh, speak to me, Lord. I, I love that in the color purple, a movie not for younger or more sensitive viewers. But uh, there's a wonderful song. Uh, uh, Sinner, can't you hear God is trying to tell you something? That That is to me one of the most beautiful moments in, in any movie. Sinner, can't you hear God is trying to tell you something? That's what's going on. Jesus, when we when we have this attitude, we we make Jesus groan in his deepest, deepest spirit. So uh, I think that, that um, we need to understand miracles for what they are. They are words from God. Uh, um, so, well, let's get back to some letters here. All right, let me go. Let me go. Let me, let me, let me go. No, no. Let me add them. Where did I put the letters? I've finally become totally incoherent. There we are. All right. All right. Oh, I wanted to say, I meant to say this last week. Um, uh, Colleen um, got off the phone with Liliana from California. You just wanted to say hi. Well, hi, Liliana, and thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. God bless you. So there, Liliana from California. All right, let's, let's go here. All right. This is, um, <laughs> this is kind of funny. This is Gracie. And uh, she says, when I was a young one in the 70s, I was a young one in the 50s, sister whoever scolded the students who made the sign of the cross with their left hands. Two of my left-handed children always make the sign of the cross with their left hands. Is it still considered taboo to do this? Well, I suppose it is, but they made a bigger deal of it than, uh, <clears throat> than they needed to. I, too, and I reveal this at my own peril, I, too, am left-handed. And in the 1950s, growing up left-handed was truly difficult. No one ever explained to me that there are left-handed scissors and right-handed scissors. And I drove the nuns to distraction when we had to cut out nice little little cutouts for our First Communion booklets and valentines and art projects. I would take the right-handed scissors in my left hand and mush the paper terribly. <laughs> uh, and uh, I remember my father, realizing why I was such a terrible baseball player, got me a left-handed glove, which, of course, you wear in your right hand. No, it was just I was a really bad throw. Uh, but, yeah, we left-handed people have certain things that um, that are daunting, and Making the sign of the cross is one of them. I make the sign of the cross with the right hand. And let me explain where the tradition comes from. It was believed in the ancient world that you were surrounded by uh, spirits. And they may have had a point. I think we are surrounded by spirits. We live in this multidimensional world. <clears throat> and the good spirits clustered on the right side. 
And the bad spirits clustered on the left side. Uh, that's why he puts the sheep on his right and the goats on his left kind of thing. Uh, that, that the, the, the Greeks actually called the left side. They wouldn't say left. They had a word, euonymos, which means the well-named side. Uh, in Latin, the, the word for left is sinistra, which, from which we get the word sinister. So the left side was very, very bad. That's where the custom of making the sign of the cross with the right hand, uh, 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 with the right hand, uh, comes from because we don't want to use the bad side. So that's what the taboo is from. There's, there's really no, no need to worry about it, but it does look very odd when I see someone make the sign of the cross with the left hand. So encourage your children as they grow to make the sign of the cross with the right hand. <laughs> They'll get less grief from it if they do it that way. So that's a, an extensive um, explanation for a simple question. All right. Now, this is, this is from um, uh, Jonathan in Sacramento. An American-Israeli physicist, Gerald Schroeder, <clears throat> puts forth an interesting gloss on the creation chapter of Genesis. He first presented it in Genesis and the Big Bang and refers to Maimonides. In a nutshell, each day is an epoch, and the primary meaning to be gotten from the use of Aramaic Hebrew word for day and night is good and orderly. Hmm, I didn't know that. And not orderly. Well, that, that makes sense. The day is orderly, and the night is not orderly. That's interesting, because I think I shared with you that for Jews, uh, the day starts in the evening, uh, and it, it goes through uh, uh, to, the, to the next evening, because in the text of Scripture, you read, it was evening and morning the first day. So for Jews, things start in the evening. And that would be a progression from the chaos of darkness, when you can't see anything and fall over, uh, objects in your way to the orderliness of the day. So, so you're progressing from this disordered night into ordered day. Well, I've taught scripture at our parish, uh, <clears throat> for the past 12 years. And I use a summary of Jewish and Catholic commentary on the six days of creation. Um, I feel, and some fathers have hinted at it, that the seventh day, the Lord's day, is the time we are in until the second coming. I, you know, that that might be when he says that <clears throat> my voice reminds him of his Chicago relatives. I don't talk like they do in Chicago. I talk English the right way. <laughs> the way his honor to mayor talk. Chicago is quite a dialect. Uh, my favorite Chicago phrase, having completely gone off the track here, my favorite Chicago phrase is the bodias, which means the both of you. It uses the plural and devotees. This is, I call it the second person uh, uh, dual uh, pejorative because it's always bad. Somebody says, I want to see devotees. That's not good. I want to see devotees in my office now. That's Chicagoan. It's a, I should teach a course one day in Chicago, and it's, it's a lovely, lovely dialogue. I digress totally. Well, <clears throat> let's, the voice in my head just said, will he get credit? Yes, he, his Chicagoan is quite good, even though he's not from Chicago. All right. The, uh, um, let's get back to What am I talking about? That's always a good question. Well, uh, the seventh day, the, the Lord's day, is the time we are coming, uh, we are until the second coming. I, I think that that probably is a good one. Um, I, I've, you know, that's the wonderful thing about scripture. Any passage can bear three, four, five 
even more uh, meanings and implications because scripture is so rich. So, yeah, this is this is this in a sense is the epoch of the seventh day uh, because the Lord has revealed Himself to the world. Um, I like to think of the seventh day as perfection, and this world is not yet perfect, but the Lord is in the world in a way uh, that He wasn't until the coming of Christ the Messiah. So, yeah, there's that. There is that covenantal perfection. Uh, this number seven is very important in the scriptures. Very, very important. Uh, for instance, uh, we have the seven days of creation, of course. Then we have uh, <clears throat> the seven sacraments. We have, uh, uh, what's another example of seven? Uh, the seven candles on the lampstand. Uh, the seven days of the week. We have all of these sevens. And um, when you see the number seven in scripture, you should always be reminded of, of the Lord's covenant. Uh, so seven, huge. Um, let's see, what else did I want to mention about seven? <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I think that that's an interesting interpretation that that we are in the seventh day. This is the seventh epoch. Um, but again, I remind you that the most important part of the story of creation is seven. Uh, of course, we have the seven colors of the rainbow. Uh, despite the fact that there are certain people who have rainbows that have only six colors. And, of course, six, as I've said, is a very, very inadequate number. Um, so, seven. Uh, treat it well. You know, just again, I want to thank you uh, wholeheartedly for your kindness, for your, your generosity. It is it is a real inspiration to me. Um, and... and you know, it just astounds me that that we live in a world in which our civilization is is in such peril. And, you know, we're Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian. <laughs> That's what we used to call our civilization back when we had one. And all of this delving into history and reminding uh, people of things Jewish and things Christian, this wonderful, wonderful gift we receive from the Lord, you are doing the best I know to save the culture, not just to save souls, but to save the whole culture. And the more we know scripture, our, our St. Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Scripture is also the very basis of our culture. And when people forget the sacred words of the, of the Jewish and Christian scriptures, They've lost the culture. So I just want to thank you again for, for your valiant efforts to, to, to save souls and, and to save this great world, this, this seventh day <laughs> that God has given us. So God bless you. And uh, Drew is coming up, so don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for Drew. Uh, talk about culture. He's got it in spades. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing.